That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, Jake, it's mon it's Monday, Thursday. <laughs> Monday, Thursday, that's good. Right? What, <clears throat> that's what we're doing. How are you? So, Jake? yes, we're doing Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday. And so, um, yeah, here we are at the very, uh, this is, we're at the very edge of the pinnacle, pinnacle of the year, the Christian year, which is Easter. And so we are making our way to the top of the mountaintop. If you're a minister at this time, you're probably a little bit overwhelmed uh, with sermon preps and with uh, pastoral care and everything that comes in between and making sure your services rock. Um, uh, the wicks are trimmed and the candles are lit, um, but we are here to help Stockings you. Stockings are hung by the chimney a, with care. Yeah, just in case you need a little sermon prep. Yeah, so fortunately, Monday Thursday, the readings are pretty straightforward. There's no options to choose from. They save you from some decision fatigue. It's Exodus 12, 1 through 4, verses 5 through 10 are optional. Then mm-hmm. verses 11 through 14. Then a reading from 1 Corinthians, brief reading where... Paul talks about the institution of the Lord's Supper, and John 13 gives uh, an account of Jesus washing the disciples' feet and giving them the commandment to love one another. And it is worth saying that most of the people who listen to this podcast, I think, are preachers or people who are like church regulars. But in the off chance that there is somebody here who is new to the Episcopal Church, or the liturgical tradition and doesn't know what Monday Thursday is or thought our joke at the top was totally weird and you didn't get it at all. Uh, Monday Thursday is a day in Holy Week. Holy Week is the day we remember the la- the week. Monday Thursday is one day in Holy Week, the week we remember the last week of Jesus's life on earth. And Monday Thursday is the day that corresponds exactly in time to when Jesus met with his disciples in an upper room had what is known as the Last Supper, the first meal of Holy Communion, then went out to Garden of Gethsemane after washing his disciples' feet, and then was arrested. And then, of course, he spends Thursday night, mm-hmm. Friday morning in jail, and is crucified the next day on Good Friday. The word Mondi comes from a English uh, derivation of the Latin mandatum, commandment, because in this reading from John's Gospel, Jesus says, a new commandment, a new mandatum, a novum mandatum, I give to you, that you love one another. So it's it, it, it'd be sort of like commandy Thursday is sort of what it is. Um, commandy Thursday. But it's shaped uh, <laughs> like that. You should put that on your bulletins. Commandy Thursday, Calvary St. George's. Yeah. But that's what it means. Anyways, so now you know. If, if you didn't mm. know, now you know. So let's look at this. Uh, we, we begin with this reading from Exodus, which gives us the backstory to why Jesus is meeting with his disciples for that meal. Because he wasn't like, hey, let's create mm-hmm. 
ceremony that will be used in the Christian church. No, they were just getting <laughs> together right. for Passover, which was a Jewish holiday. And here it tells us all about it in Exodus. So, Jake, why don't you tell us more about it? Yeah, well, this is uh, right before uh, the final judgment of Yahweh and Pharaoh. If you remember, there have been a series of plagues that have taken place. Uh, um, and, uh, well, basically, the backstory is is that um, this is about, uh, you know, there came along a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. And um, Israel, at this time, they were living in the land of Goshen, but had begun to outnumber the Egyptians. And the Pharaoh had made them, basically uh, treated them harshly and uh, committed genocide. And uh, it was a terrible, terrible situation the Israelites were living under. And God heard their cry and uh, began to set them free by sending his servant Moses to engage the Pharaoh. And what's really happening in that engagement is a battle between two gods. Pharaoh believed he was a god, the son of Ra. And, uh, and then Yahweh, and, and God literally says, Aaron will be my prophet, and Moses, you will be as me. And so there is these plagues, and each of the plagues, go ahead and do the research, corresponds to a god. And this is the final plague that's about to happen, uh, the attack of uh, the Pharaoh, the son of Ra. God is going to kill all of the firstborn in the land, except those who put um, blood on the doorpost. And uh, um, this is the Passover of the Lord. And, uh, the and so our readings here today are basically the instructions for the Passover lamb and the Passover itself where Israel's to smear the blood on the post. And, um, but the question is, is why would uh, God require such a thing? I mean, you know, why couldn't God just, you know, okay, that's an Israelite, that's, you know. And I think that there is um, what's being conveyed here in this particular passage, and this ties in ultimately to the joy that we have in Easter, is that um, there with God, Jesus is not just, God is not just your homeboy. There is an all-consuming holiness of God, which I think has oftentimes been tamed and forgotten in much of the church. And so when Yahweh comes to town here to confront Egypt, um, he is coming as absolute Lord and judge. And so this isn't about simply how to escape Egypt and get out of Egypt, but this is how to uh, be protected from an all-consuming holy God. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's the thing. And so uh, how does humanity stand before uh, a holy God? And the answer here is... Uh, unequivocally blood. And so that's what's going on here. And the blood satisfies the judgment that is being brought on e Egypt. And this is one of the great like articulations of the gospel in the Old Testament. This is one of the clearest pictures of the gospel in the Old Testament. And Jesus and the gospel writers and St. Paul build on this image of what's going on here. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, Jesus' night and where he institutes the commandment and takes all of the symbols of the Passover and points them to himself happens in all four of the gospels. And uh, Paul in Corinthians makes the point that Jesus will, he's not just anything, but he is our Passover lamb. So the point of the book of Exodus and our reading from Exodus today is to drive us to Jesus, who is the uh, lamb of God who takes away ultimately the sins of the world and delivers us from death. I think there's one last point is that um, everyone that night had something dead in their home. Uh, you know, it was either a son or a lamb. 
But when the lamb died, it was a substitute for the whole community. Uh, you cannot get away from substitution here. Uh, when the lamb died, it was the substitute for Pharaoh's, for all of Egypt's firstborn. And... Um, and became the substitute for God's firstborn, which is Israel itself in the Old Testament, whom he'd chosen and purposed to redeem. And God has purposed to redeem you in Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Yeah, this passage is important because you one needs to remember that Jesus, when he tells his disciples to prepare the room and get ready for Passover, he's telling them to get a, a, a goat or a lamb and to kill it. Uh, and there would have been blood spilled and poured out, and they would have known this from their earliest childhood, all of them. Uh, this is still done in many parts of the world today. We're recording this uh, March 22nd, and tomorrow Ramadan begins. And when Ramadan ends around the world, uh, Muslim people will get together and will slaughter an animal and watch the blood come out. So in many cultures, it's still very kind of this... This is not a metaphor that seems like an ancient thing that nobody does anymore, um, that all animals are killed in slaughterhouses by um, undocumented workers uh, wearing hairnets and, um, and uh, hoping that uh, violations of OSHA regulations are not discovered. Like animals in many parts of the world are killed by people who then eat them and very much see presently in front of them the, um, the reality of the life of the animal being the blood and, and all of that. And so uh, – that's what the disciples would have seen. That's what Jesus would have known. And so when they are later eating this meal and Jesus says, this is my, this, this is my blood, like it's a, just a much clearer connection to the things, Jake, that you're talking about, the substitution, the sacrifice, the atonement, all of that there. And it's just so important for, for Christians uh, to know that what we do and in the Episcopal Church or other liturgical traditions like ours with where the Eucharist is the central thing on Sunday, Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, the Mass, all of it, it, it's, it points back to this. There's a movement in the church to try to make it a fellowship meal, which to me misses the whole point. And expressly what Jesus says in the Gospels, what Paul says in the Corinthians reading we're going to read, and just this Exodus passage here. This is not just a happy time of getting together. I mean, yes, Passover is a celebration of freedom from slavery in Egypt, which is great. But if you look at the moment, like it's a pretty raw thing. Like you, you this eat this terrifying. meal really fast and you, you get out before the uh, angel of the Lord comes through to, to strike down <laughs> folks. So, so that's yeah. the tone, that's yeah. the tenor and our meal, our cel- our Eucharist is a celebration, but it points back and has its root here of people who were in a situation, they couldn't get out of it themselves. God had to do it for them and they only got out by the grace of God. Um, so it's heavy and it's real. And so to make communion, just, I mean, don't make your sermon to wade into the politics of what communion means in the church for today or whatever. Yeah. Make sure it connects with people. But to the extent that you talk about it, make sure that folks know this is not just a party around a table like Thanksgiving. This is <clears throat> mm. uh, people being saved by the grace of a loving God who gets them out of a situation because somebody other than themselves pays the price with blood mm. oh that's wonderful and i and uh and blood is serious business you know i always i mean this is just a, a private thought but i'm going to say it on same old song i've always said you know this is why if i'm not a christian i'm going to become a practitioner of aztec religions or viking religions um because 
uh, those people take um, blood very seriously as well. And I've always said, if your religion isn't about, doesn't have blood in it, it's not, it's not real serious. I remember there was an old lady and she used to tell me when I first started preaching, she was like, I need to be able to smell the blood. Mm-hmm. And um, it's true. And uh, blood is very important. Um, and it also ties into Leviticus uh, chapter 17. And this was one of the reasons why when Jesus says, this is my blood, uh, why everybody on the institution that night would have been, what is he talking about? Or when he says, lest you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you shall have no life in you. Later uh, in John's gospel, the feeding of the 5,000. Um, in Leviticus, it says, if anyone from the house of Israel or a foreigner living among them eats any blood, they weren't supposed to, you're supposed to drain that stuff. I will set my face against that person and cut them off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for your souls upon the altar. For it is the blood that makes atonement for our souls. And what Paul ties this in is that us feeding on Jesus, the reason why they didn't is because that's to be attached to an animal. And uh, in a very powerful, and what God is saying, what Jesus is saying by taking his blood is that we are being attached to him. It's very thing. And this is why we, quoting St. Paul, um, Alleluia, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. And people respond, therefore, let us keep the feast, because this becomes the outward sign that we have been united with Christ in a death and resurrection like his. And, uh, and then we follow by these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Now we cut out, a lot of people cut out the most important part, but it's the gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you. Mm-hmm. And because he's died for you, feed on him in your hearts by faith uh, with great thanksgiving. And uh, that is what makes, so this is serious, serious business. But in the midst of serious business, talking about blood, talking about sacrifice, there's redemption, there's grace, and it is a festival. Yeah, and I think, you know, the, if people get kind of weirded out by the blood and the, all that sort of stuff, and like, that seems very superstitious and ancient <laughs> cultures or whatever, yeah. Um, I just think about how, it's so funny because we attach meaning to so many things. Um, yeah, I mean, think about the current interest in crystals or whatever, like, so you're telling me like you're cool with that or like burning some sage, but you're not going to see blood as something that could be efficacious. I realize this is mysterious and it's not necessarily how we in the West, the developed world tend to think about things, but, but be open to but, it. But, and, um, and, and people, realize, people are consulting all sorts of crazy stuff. And just, I mean, I think, days. you know, uh, your sins are real sins. They're not hypothetical sins. They affect you in a real mm-hmm. way. They affect people in a real way. I mean, there's the, you know, the book now, the body keeps score, like the things that we do mentally, emotionally, they have physical consequences. And God here steps in in a very physical, real way in a physical world that he made. And we don't have to understand everything about it, but clearly there's something really important about this Passover meal and the way Christ is the Mm. new Passover lamb. The Agnes Dei, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's a Passover term. Um, Mm. So Mm. this is is the the, the reading that gives it to you. I I used to have a great picture of the great temples in Tewatiwakan. Um, and, uh, and on the top, right below, it said, um, religion, all we want is your heart. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, if you we know anything about Aztec, that's where they take took your heart right at the, yes. Yeah. We've but all seen but I think the great, the, the, great, the great thing about the Passover and Maundy Thursday today is that what we see tonight 
as uh, Jesus institutes this new mandatum, is that he gives us his heart, and he gives it to us fully and totally, and, uh, and uh, his heart enables us to um, actually, maybe for a brief second, live out this new command that he's about to give us. But let's uh, move into 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. Um, any thoughts on that that we haven't already said? Uh, I don't, not really. I mean, this is Paul <laughs> writing to the early church to, to um, describe what the meal is that we celebrate even today, mm. this week after week on Sundays. And I think it's important for Christians to know that, at least in the Episcopal and Anglican tradition, when you hear these words on, you know, when the priest reads them on Sundays, uh, or your Wednesday noon Eucharist or whatever, like, it's just quoting scripture. Like, this is, this is, the prayer book is based on the Bible, not the other way around. And so, um, just, I, I would talk about Jesus making this something that is not a once in a while, occasional thing but that he wanted Christians to do it repeatedly, and he wanted them, in doing so, to remember his death. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You remember this covenant that he's mm. made with you. There's so He wants you to remember that he died for you. He doesn't want you. I mean, there's other stuff that's important to remember, too, the fellowship, uh, whatever, like the call to serve the world. Etc. But yeah. like he, what the, the, main, the central ceremonial act of the Christian church is something that is rooted in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and he wants you to remember that he died. Amen. I think that's, uh, that's very important, and that's really good. I think also um, to remember that this isn't Paul's plan, and this isn't Paul's idea. He says, I received this from the Lord, and uh, this is a revelation. And so every time we engage in communion, we are engaged in a revelation that has come from above. Uh, and this is how we are united to Christ, uh, and this is how... Um, uh, and this is how his death is proclaimed to the world, by lifting up that bread and lifting up that cup, uh, eating and drinking until Jesus comes again. You're absolutely right. So that's what we're engaged in. Yep. Uh, and, you know, to the debate that sometimes people have about whether the non-baptized should come to Holy Communion, um, that only works if you believe it really is just like a, you know, family dinner around the table. It doesn't really, it, I think it does, it's disrespectful to people to say, hey, we're eating this bread, which is, we believe, um, representative of the body of Christ, and this wine, which is representative of his blood. And you don't understand that, but we're going to create social pressure where you feel like you have to eat flesh and drink blood um, for the sacrifice for your sins. Like, I don't, it's a, it's a bit, when you, I think when you really understand the Eucharist, in the way that I think the scriptures understand it. And, you know, I'm sure there's some listeners that would poke back at me on this one, but um, I think it's, I think it's um, disrespectful to invite people to come forward for this meal, which is, it really is very, very deep and powerful. And um, it is for everyone. Uh, but as the scriptures say, you have to recognize the body of Christ in what you're doing. Um, and if, and so just keep the baptismal font filled and ready to go in case somebody does want to That's come right. to the table so you can baptize them and welcome them to the table. Yeah, it's uh, it's spiritual food and drink. You know, this is, uh, uh, we pray this in, uh, in uh, the, the Eucharistic liturgies. And, so you know, so it's... Um, it is. It's for a community. I've never met anybody that's been like, oh, I can't believe it. You won't let me. You know what I mean? Most people are like, when you explain what's going on, 
They're like, oh, that's amazing. Can I get baptized? And yeah. so, you know, yeah, have the font ready to go and dunk them. So uh, give them the goods. Um, uh, so then we come to uh, John and this wonderful night where we are remembered of Jesus giving the mandatu, the new command. Um, anything you want to talk about this? I think it's, uh, I mean, the one thing I would say, and again, we've said too much that you for folks to preach on. This is like five sermons so far, and we haven't even gotten a good Friday. But um, I think it is so touching that Jesus washes the feet of his disciples uh, who are all about to betray him, and he knows they're all about to betray him. It's not just Judas. It's all of them that flee. It's Peter, of course, who, who you know deny him three times. This is a clear picture of the grace of God. So many people feel so unworthy before the Lord. So like, Oh, God's mad at me. And like, you want to know what the heart of God is to you? He's Jesus washing your feet, even though he knows you're about to go step in poo again. Um, and, uh, it's just a beautiful and loving picture. I think I would hold back preachers on wanting to make this primarily about you going out to do this in the world, you going out to be the loving hands and feet of Christ. That's clear in the passage. The passage says it all, and everybody already knows that anyway. Everybody in your pews knows that they're supposed to um, be kind to people, and they know all about love of neighbor and stuff. They know that Jesus is about that on some level. Uh, I think the thing that people always forget is that that they themselves are loved by God, and the same love, the Mm. foot-washing love of Jesus that he has for the disciples, he has for the people in your congregation. So if you're going to talk about this, talk about how we tend to think that we shouldn't, um, I don't know, like we don't want to get help. We don't want to be forgiven. We don't want to let things go. We don't want to allow ourselves to actually feel forgiven. We want to keep being sort of self-loathing and beating ourselves up for things, and we just can't let it go. Like Peter, who says, like, no, don't wash my feet. And then, um, you know, Peter says, you'll never wash my feet. But Jesus says, no, like being part of Jesus, having a part of Jesus, being in Christ means acknowledging that you need to sit there and let Jesus wash your feet. You need to stop trying to earn approval, stop trying to clean yourself up and just sit there and let him do his work. Um, that is what yeah. I would talk about here. This, so this is a, yeah, there's a, I would say, I mean, that's awesome. And um, I would say also that what's going on here too, if you staying in that area, Two things that I would say is, one, this is a living, Jesus is offering a living illustration of what's about to happen to him tomorrow. Um, so uh, that, you know, people coming in, if you've ever been to a Passover Seder, there's a scene, there's a part where um, your hands are washed, you know, your hands are washed and uh, and before you eat the meal and handle the different parts. And, uh, and uh, what Jesus does is, in, and of course, everybody knows the idea of like dirty feet and stuff like that, but Jesus literally puts on the towel and becomes, um, takes, the, takes the form of a slave here and washes their feet. Nobody would have done that. This would have been crazy, let alone a teacher. And uh, Jesus uh, is offering, I think, by becoming, taking the form of a slave in this sense, and washing his disciples' feet. He's offering them a very powerful illustration of what's about to happen tomorrow. As uh, uh, Jay Gardner once said, man, Jesus always goes lower. And so tonight he is demonstrating that, man, he went to the lowest rung of society. Uh, He went low. And uh, the next day, Jesus is going to go lower than death itself to very hell to kick open the gates uh, for you and I. But that's what's going on here is he's offering a living sacramental illustration of what he's about to do on the cross. 
The second thing I would say, one of the things I would say is I give you a new commandment, a mandatu, that you love one another just as I loved you. And remember that this is the key. Um, so often we think, well, all right, we'll just go out and love people. <laughs> Good luck, you know, mm. especially as Jesus has loved us. Are you kidding? But the, the point is, is that Christ's love must precede all things. Christ's love is the enabling word. It is the first, it is the it's the soil, it's the catalyst that makes loving anybody else, let alone as Jesus, possible. So the love of Christ, that's something if I was would must precede all things. And, um, and what Maundy Thursday around that table and ultimately what we'll see on Good Friday is that um, indeed the love of God in Christ Jesus makes all things possible. Yeah, and if I could add a little liturgical P.S. here to this episode, something that, mm, yes. that I began so doing good. a few years ago. Uh, yeah, thanks, Jake. At St. Albans here in Waco, was I realized, it. yeah, totally. And everybody, feel free to steal it. <laughs> After the service is over, so the way the way it ends, basically, a typical Monday Thursday service um, in the Episcopal Church, you would have communion. Uh, you would um, then strip the altar of everything. Uh, and then that's it. And that's the last time you have communion until uh, Easter Sunday. Uh, and the church is dark and everybody leaves. And what I realized is that uh, you would miss a key part of the events of Maundy Thursday. Uh, because Good Friday liturgy is primarily about the crucifixion. And Easter Sunday, obviously, is the resurrection. But what you miss is what happens after the dinner. You You miss telling a key part of the story. So... After the service is over, altar is stripped, everybody's leaving, people in our church are kneeling, the church is dim, and now it's bare, and um, the cross is, is veiled. And I then came out, and I knelt in front of the altar and read um, Mark chapter 14, uh, beginning at, um, let's see, let me get it right. At verse 26, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives and read through to verse 50. Then everyone deserted him and fled. So uh, it's, power it's powerful for me as I read it. It's powerful for the congregation as they hear it. Because if you don't read this, all you have at the ending is Jesus telling, washing the disciples' feet and saying, as I have loved you, love others, which is beautiful and wonderful. Um, and then it ends. And you think that Maundy Thursday is just about that. But really, Monday Thursday also includes the, what happens in the Garden of Gethsemane after that, um, and the disciples deserting him and fleeing. And to me, that really puts puts just such a, it's like a, a just a profound ring of a bell, like or some I don't know something to let people know, like um, the meal that Jesus had, the feet that he just washed, all that he did, he did it for people that immediately turn around and abandon him. And then you leave. And of course, the next day you come in and it's Good Friday and it's the crucifixion. And so anyways, that's I recommend you read uh, from uh, Mark uh, 14, um, uh, verse 26 through um, uh, the fleeing when the people 50. flee. Yeah, verse 50. So that's my little P.S. on that. That's awesome, man. We're going to definitely do that. Um, yeah. Uh, well, we so were going to do a we combined. Do... Well, we we're going to do a combined episode, Jake. I think we better call it here and just do another episode. I think good old T.J. Hester will will, in his grace, uh, help us do a Good Friday episode um, 
because I think we're already okay. We're like we're we're hitting up. Dang. We're going to overtime. Extra we're innings a little, here. Little long winded. Little right. long winded. Don't look episode, at me. So anyway, I'm, all right. I blame you. All right. So we'll see you for our next episode. Good Friday, and uh, God bless you, though, those of you for whom all Christ right. died, which is to say, everybody. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.